quite a few people asking, not only me, but uh, staff, elders, and leadership, uh, building team, um, when are we getting in? And uh, we had talked about trying to get in uh, before Thanksgiving, and uh, it just doesn't look like that's going to happen. Um, we've been trying to wait and postpone and try to figure this thing out, but uh, at this point, barring like some kind of intervention, that is not going to happen. And by intervention, we're talking like 40 carpenters come out and, uh, and do this thing and knock it out, which we don't see is going to happen. So uh, we're, we're trying to get a handle on when this thing is going to be done. Um, so just keep that in mind. But we got some good news. We're, if you're new to our church, we're in these final months of our financial campaign to raise money for our facility, and we've needed about $35,000, actually precisely $35,000 a month from September, October, November, December, and uh, we ended uh, September at 34500 and now at the end of October, after last Sunday, we're at 72000 So we're more than halfway there, guys. Very encouraging, uh, very encouraging. So uh, we may not get in when we wanted, but uh, as I read this story, Israel waited 600 years to get into the promised land. So we got it pretty good. Uh, it's all a matter of perspective, my friends. So no big deal. We'll, we'll figure out. When we get a date, like when we know for sure, we'll let you guys know. But uh, we just we don't want to try to predict because it's hard right now to figure that out. But it's looking good. Um, we spent the last few weeks talking about... Uh, Israel ready to go into the promised land. Moses has died. Joshua's now in leadership. God, Joshua gets installed as the leader, and Israel is, is called to say, hey, we're, we're going in now. It's time to go. And so they're poised, ready to go in. And uh, there's all kinds of anticipation uh, for them. They've, you know, gone through 600 years, 400 years of slavery as part of that 600 years, and then a 40 years of wandering that was part of that 600 years. And now they're finally here. And uh, part of the deal is we go through this. You can't read ahead because it ruins the story, but uh, only you and God know that. So I'll, I'll leave that between you and him. But verse 1, chapter 3, it says, Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from this Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. Now, it doesn't say this here, but in verse 15, it says, The Jordan is at flood stage all during the harvest. So the Jordan River's at flood stage, and what does that look like? This is what it looks like. That's flood stage. <laughs> uh, that is not River Styx River. Um, let me just put it that way. Uh, that's uh, something you're not going to cross. Um, and these guys obviously aren't bridge builders by trade. Um, these guys are coming out of an enslavement, 40 years of wandering. They don't have anything. They pack light, and so all they have is really what they can carry in their hands and their, their families, and there's no way they're crossing this river. So you imagine all this anticipation, and, and, and they get to the river, and they're all looking at it going, really? Th this is what we're going to cross? And you know what they're all thinking? Might as well plant some crops. We're going to be here a while, right? No, nobody's going across this thing. You've got to, in a sense, get into how they're looking at this. But what's interesting is 
Not only have they been waiting, but God has been waiting far longer than 600 years for this moment. And the crazy thing is, God actually set this thing up. You think about it. He could have had them stop wandering four months earlier, maybe four months later. But he said, nah, we're going to do it right now. We're going to do it at flood stage. And, and, and as we go through this passage, you've got to realize it's a setup. And the reason it's a setup is God is about to show off. He's going to show off like this generation has never seen before. And as he goes through this, you realize very quickly that this is not about a military exercise. This isn't about an invasion. This story, chapter 3 and 4, is about a worship service. It really is. Because all these elements of worship happen at this one point at the Jordan River. He sets up the entire day. He deliberately shows off. And, and so he's got every detail involved. And, and as we jump in, we'll see verse two now as it starts to play out. After three days, so they're hanging out three days at the river, watching this river. And everybody's saying, eh, this isn't gonna happen. But the officers went through the entire camp giving orders to the people. When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests who are Levites carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before, but keep a distance of about a thousand yards between you and the ark. Don't go near it. Stop right there for a second. So if you don't know anything about the ark, what's the ark? Because that's the key pivotal figure here, the ark, and it happens again and again and again and again. The ark is everything in this story. It's not the river, it's the ark. And the ark is this gold box that carried several things. One of them was the Ten Commandments. And on top it had this lid and there was these angels. They called them uh, cherubim on either side. And their wings kind of um, surrounded the outside of the box, made a perimeter. And on the, in the middle of that was what they called the bema seat, but is where the presence of God would dwell. When the ark of the covenant was inside the tabernacle, which was the tent, not the permanent temple, but the, the portable temple as it would. So uh, it's inside the tabernacle and it was also inside the temple. And, and God's presence would come there and, and there'd be smoke and it would be crazy because his presence is right there revealed. And nobody could walk into the place, the Holy of Holies, where it was. And so he's bringing this ark out to the people and he's saying, I, I want the ark, really my presence, because the, the box, the, the ark itself didn't have any power. It, it was when God resided on it, dwelled on it, that's when it, you know, it had the power, but it wasn't like this magic trinket. And so he comes and his presence resides on there and the ark was the symbol of the presence of God. And he says, I want the ark to go out in front of you all. And you're supposed to stay away from it like a thousand yards. How far is a thousand yards? You ever thought about that? <laughs> Ten football fields. Thank you. Three thousand feet. I mean, ten football fields. Sean and I tried to figure out how far a thousand yards were. Check out this video. Oh, we had a lot of fun. <laughs> that was a blast. Um, Actually, you see the pictures, the next slide shows you, uh, you kind of get a feel of it. Um, that's a thousand yards, and actually it's a little short, it's a little bit farther. Can you imagine? God says, I want the ark a thousand yards in front of you. Isn't that interesting? 
And the whole nation is watching these guys, right? With the, pose, with the little poles through the ark carrying this thing a thousand yards. Why? Part of it was the holiness and the sacredness of the presence of God. You don't get near him. But what's interesting, the reason God gives, this is so interesting, then you will know which way to go since you've never been this way before. God's out in front leading. And he says, stay way back. You don't know where you're going. Here's a thought. How far out is God in front of you right now? Is he a thousand yards? Or are you in front of him? It's a great visual. God likes to be out in front. Joshua goes on now and he starts to speak to the people and lead the people. God's been telling him what to say and do and so he tells the people in verse five, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. This is still on day three, right? And so they're still there. The, the, actually the priests haven't gone. They've gotten the instructions and he now tells the priests in verse six, take up the Ark of the Covenant, pass on ahead of the people, so they took it up and went ahead of them. So there's kind of some chronological things of how, how is this supposed to come and play out, but it's interesting. Joshua says, go sharpen your swords. Joshua says, go get your <laughs> training, go do military drills, go, no. He says, go get ready to worship, right? I mean, consecrate yourselves was about them cleaning their clothes, getting on their, their Sabbath best, cleaning them, themselves physically, but also spiritually, preparing themselves to worship God. Isn't that interesting? It's this whole scene of God setting up the people to worship him, setting themselves apart. And, and what's interesting, as they get into the land where God is driving home and he doesn't want them ever to forget is that the spiritual reality is greater than the physical reality. And he makes them stop three days and wait and learn this lesson. Makes them anticipate even more and God goes on, and right in the middle of this, God in verse seven says to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. And, and, and there's just like little, what, what is that about? And, and I love this, that God is, is a thousand yards out and God is right there next to Joshua, same moment, and he's, he's like whispering to him and he's telling him, look, I, I am out in front of you, but I'm right here, and, and I love how God does that. He whispers things to us, promises. This is the second one in Joshua. Chapter one, he said, look, I will be with you like I was with Moses. And now he's saying, I will exalt you like I exalted Moses. And it's just, I, I love this heart of God that is so personal, giving Joshua what he needed in the moment. He says, I've got you, and I got a vision for your life. It'll blow you away. Watch me do it. 
Verse eight, he gives instructions to the priests again. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan waters, go and stand in the river. So they're ready to go and we're poised. And and then Joshua then gives these final instructions to the Israelites. And these words are from God. He says this, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. Like, this is God talking to y'all now. This is how you know, will know the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Jebusites. See, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from among the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe, and we'll talk about that in a second. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord the Lord of all the earth. He says that now twice in two verses or three verses. As soon as they set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So Joshua comes and says, I want you guys to know, God's, God's calling the shot before he even shoots it. He's gonna tell you right now what is happening. He wants you to know that he is the Lord of all the earth. And as soon as they touch the river, this river stops. Flood stage, it stops. He, he makes the point, it, it's a great communication uh, example, tell people what you're gonna say or what you're gonna do, then do it, and then tell people what you just did, right? And that's what he's doing, he's telling them what he's about to do. He's about to show them that he is the Lord, the living God of heaven and earth. And so the crossing finally happens in verse 14, so when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at full, is at flood stage rather, all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the waters from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap at a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarathon. While the water flowing down to the sea out of the Arabah, the salt sea was completely, or dead sea was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm, stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan. While all the people passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. And you gotta imagine the priests who are doing this with, I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of people watching at this point, maybe over a million, I'm not sure, I should have figured out the population at this time, but they're all watching four guys carry this ark, and I'm sure the two guys in the front of the ark were like, this is the plan. I step into the water, the, this water. We got a fallback plan. Can you imagine? You step in it and then dry. That's God that shows off. God shows off. People start crossing not in mud but on dry ground. That's God showing off. Water backing upstream, that's God showing off. And in verse, or chapter four, verses one through seven, we start to, realize even more why is he showing off when the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan the Lord said to Joshua choose 12 men from among the people which he'd already done but now we're we're kind of jumping back and forth that's how the story goes now choose them from one each tribe and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan from right where the priest stood and to carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you will stay tonight 
So Joshua called together the 12 men and had appointed, he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign. Circle that. Serve as a sign among you. In the future when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. God's showing off, and as he shows off, in the middle of this, he says, I want you guys to put a memorial, I want you guys to put a memory marker on this spot. I don't want you ever to forget it. I want you to tell your kids and your grandkids I want you every time to come by this river to remember what I just did. And he tells them to put these stones here. And why do you put these stones here? Because we forget. We forget so much a guy invented a mathematical formula just to chart how bad we are at remembering things. You guys ever seen this? Yeah, I haven't either. That equation. Uh, Herman Ebbinghaus. This guy had enough time on his hand to figure out this whole formula. So you look at the next thing, and I got this on Wikipedia. Sorry, guys. I know the teachers tell you don't go there, but uh, whatever. It worked. Um, so the forgetting curve, all right? So you've got memory. How strong is your memory going up and down, right? That's, that's this way. Uh, and you've got the vertical axis. Then the horizontal axis is time. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, six days. We're not talking years. We're just talking days, okay? And the typical graph of this forgetting curve, my words, purports to show that humans tend to have, or put in H-A-L-V-E if you can't read that, their memory of newly learned knowledge in a matter of days or weeks unless they consciously review the learned material. Most students remember only 10% after three to six days. Therefore, 90% of what is learned is forgotten. You know what's depressing? None of you will remember this message, or 90% of it. <laughs> you know what's even more depressing? Neither will I. <laughs> oh, we're awful at this. We forget all the time. Unless, unless we consciously review the learned material. You ever have God show off in your life? How well do you remember it? You ever read this story and go, how could they forget who would ever, it's like, we do it all the time. We forget. We forget and we forget and we forget. It's interesting, God created math. He knows this equation, knew it before it ever was written on a piece of paper. They're going to forget all the power. They're going to forget it. The math just doesn't lie. 
And the only way to bust the math is to review again and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Sunday mornings are part of that. This is a review. This is a a day where we remember, right? During the week, are we remembering, consciously reviewing, goes on in verse 8 through 14 is kind of a summary of what's just happened and how Israel responds. The narrative turns to them. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. Took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites as the Lord had told Joshua and they carried them over with them to their camp where they put them down. Joshua set up 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood. And there they are today. And you're like, wait a minute. If you read this, there's two monuments. There's one that Joshua himself took upon himself. It wasn't with the 12 tribes, it was just Joshua. Why? Guess he figured two is better than one. (laughs) And he put one out in the middle of the river which can you imagine when it wasn't at flood stage, they would see it. They would see it and remember, put one right in the middle of the river. Goes on, the priests who carried their ark remained standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything the Lord had commanded Joshua was done by the people. Interesting, just as Moses had directed Joshua. Hmm, could this be God doing what he just promised him? The people hurried over, I love that. (laughs) Imagine yourself in the middle of that river. Yeah, let's keep moving. Just keep walking along here, Junior, right? I mean, there's this sense. And actually, the Hebrew, it says that everything happened without a hiccup. Just smooth. Everybody hurried right through. The men of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over, armed in front of the Israelites. Now, what had happened there is those two and a half tribes stuck on the east side of the Jordan because they took that land, but they made a deal in chapter one, we'll go with y'all and help fight and conquer the land. Our men will go and we'll stay and fight until every tribe has their allotted portion of the land. And so they're fulfilling this, this vow. And what's interesting is it says this as about 40,000 armed for battle crossed over before the Lord to the plains of Jericho for war. I love that idea, they crossed over before the Lord. It's like God is right there on that ark and they're walking by it. Every single person's walking by that ark before the Lord. And you get this sense of awe, fear, like God's watching you <laughs> in a good way. <clears throat> and then we get this editorial comment That day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel and they revered him all the days of his life just as they had revered Moses. It's just this little, editorial comments in in these narratives are are really important. It's just they, they drop in at certain points and they give you a story that nobody else knows about. And this one is God promised and God did what he promised. And it's just this meaningful exchange between God and Joshua. It's, it's just this personal thing where God is Lord of heaven and earth parting the river and then doing something so personal with someone like he sees everybody. 
verses 15 through 5-1 are confusing because it feels like a repetition. It is a repetition, but it's from a different vantage point. The whole story was told up until this point on the east side of the Jordan. When we get to verse 15, all of a sudden the vantage point shifts and now they're on the west side looking back at what just happened. And there's a few different details that come into the story. So you see this all come out about the priests and the priests come up and, and they, <clears throat> it says all this again, but as soon as they hit their feet on the dry ground, the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and ran at flood stage as before. Again, God showing off. But this is interesting. On the 10th day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. The 10th day, that's the day that Passover happened. It's no accident it's being written here. If you don't know what Passover was, that was back when Israel was in Egypt. They were in slavery. It was right at the very end, all the plagues. Well, this is the last plague where the angel of death was gonna come unless someone had sacrificed the lamb and painted on their door the blood of the lamb and then the angel would pass over. It was this miraculous day of deliverance for Israel and God did yet another day of deliverance on the same day intentionally. God showing off. Joshua at Gilgal now set up the 12 stones they had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, in the future when your descendants ask their fathers, what do these stones mean? Tell them Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you'd crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan just what he had done to the Red Sea. And, and what is when he dried it up before us until he, we crossed over. The Red Sea now is this reference to something else miraculous. And why would he bring up the Red Sea? Why would he bring up the 10th day? Because he's the same God. He's the same God. And as they get into the land and they look back 600 years, it's the same God, the same God, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, enslavement, delivery, wanderings, the same God. He did this. This is, the, this is the point now. God is now saying what I have just done. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. He did this to let the world know he is powerful. And it's interesting, in the previous chapter, or two chapters earlier, chapter two, a woman sees the hand of God and believes. God's reaching out, he's showing himself, he's giving people an opportunity to respond. And what's interesting is the editorial comment in verse one of chapter five, when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until we had crossed over, their hearts melted. They no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. But they didn't believe. Not like Rahab. God is this God that wants to show himself and reach people and he is forever this presence that divides people. Some hate him, he says, and some see him for who he truly is and worship him. But his heart is to show himself. Final thing there is that they end up understanding what it means to fear the Lord. 
You know, there's good fear and bad fear, and I think often we think of God and the, the, the reputation he has as the bad fear, like he's just this angry, capricious God. But that's not the fear we're talking about here. That's the fear of walking by an ark and realizing the living God of heaven and earth is right there who's just parted this river and stopped this river at flood stage. And you get around that and you go, okay, I'm scared. I'm scared. I, I see the real balance of power here. None, all, right? One author said this, the fear of the Lord means you take God very, very, very seriously. So he shows off to his people, he's Lord of the earth. He makes them put up a monument, a sign, a memorial in case they forget. And why does he do it? Because he doesn't do this all the time. He doesn't do it all this time, or all the time, and he asks us to live by faith and, and to remember. And when we remember, we can live by faith. And I think so often we just demand God to show off, and God's like, live by faith. Do you believe me or not? Quit asking for a sign. I've given you the sign you need. We only need really one sign. And it's hanging up on the front. That's the only sign we need. And if we remember this and all of this and the events surrounding it and the three days after this, that's all we need. So we're gonna spend some time doing just that this morning. We're gonna remember Christ. Invite the worship team to come up.